Welcome to another episode of The Linecast. I'm your host, Jonathan Platt. This week, my guest is Joanne Cummings. Joanne is the director of Baylor's Middle East Studies program and teaches in the BIC and Political Science Department. She's also been instrumental in the development of an interfaith minor here at Baylor. A retired diplomat, her experience is wide-ranging. She was most recently the foreign policy advisor to CJTFORI, based in Baghdad. She has also served extensively in the Middle East, North Africa, and East Africa. As the daughter of a diplomat, she was raised in Lebanon, lived in Saudi Arabia's eastern province, finished high school in Tehran, Iran, and graduated from university in Beirut, Lebanon, before gaining an MA from the University of Texas at Austin. In the Department of State and in the private sector, she has worked in Syria, Yemen, Iraq, Afghanistan, Jerusalem, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Cyprus, Ethiopia, and Micronesia, as well as nine years working regionally from Morocco through Pakistan. Mrs. Cummings was previously Deputy Chair of Missions in the Federated States of Micronesia. In this conversation, Joanne and I discussed the recent escalation of war between Israel and Hamas. She really helped me understand the conflict, the history, the two sides, and what I thought was most important, the language that we use to describe the region and the people in it. I thoroughly enjoyed this interview on such a very sobering subject. Uh, Much has happened since we taped this conversation, and I knew that would be the case. So towards the end, listen for Joanne's suggestions on which media outlets to follow for up-to-date, accurate, and considerate coverage on the unfolding events. I hope this conversation is as useful for you in understanding such an important global issue as it was for me. Here's my interview with Joanne Cummings. Professor Cummings, where does this interview find you? I am at home in Waco, Texas, preparing for my next set of courses and getting ready for a trip to Washington, D.C. to give a paper at a conference. Great. Well, let's jump right into it. Uh, On the morning of Saturday, October 7th, many of us woke up to see the shocking headlines that the Palestinian terrorist organization Hamas had initiated one of the gravest assaults on Israel in years. There's reported to be over 2,000 civilians and militants dead and 200,000 people displaced in the ensuing three days, and the conflict has only escalated. What was your initial reaction to the headlines, and what's the state of the war or the conflict right now? Oh, and uh, by the way, for anyone listening, uh, just for context, we're taping this interview on Tuesday morning, so no telling what has happened between uh, us speaking and when you are listening to this. Oh, thank you for adding that caveat. When I heard this, what struck me is that this is not only a quantitative escalation, but also a qualitative one. There has been no attack quite like this from Hamas or or any other Palestinian organization. It is it is important to recognize that the 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 background causes of Palestinian frustration continue and we have to look at that, but we also have to recognize that this attack into Israel, the way it was carried out, the attack on very civilian targets is is abhorrent and is is opposed in in all standards of Quranic warfare, etc. So there's a difference between genuine frustration among Gazans who are now, of course, being attacked by Israel and the acts that were perpetrated 
by Hamas inside Israel. Yeah. And what I think is happening now is both sides are are in a corner. Both sides are in a corner where they are justifying their actions not only as existential but also condoned and indeed obligated by God. And it's very difficult to negotiate your way out of a conflict that each side has defined by God. Yeah. There, there's maybe some semantics we should get out of the way before we keep chatting. Uh, one of them is uh, I've, I've read several honestly conflicting views in respected outlets on using the term conflict versus war. For instance, the prime minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, within my understanding is within minutes said that we're at war. Uh, I remember this when it came to the the Russian attack on Ukraine. The, uh, the Much of the, the Russian PR infrastructure wanted to use the word conflict, uh, but the kind of the global uh, political atmosphere wanted to use the word war. How should we understand this? Is this a conflict or is this a war? Well, it's both. I, okay. I use the word conflict very deliberately because it, with Russia and Ukraine, we have two sovereign states that are at war with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, each is, is separate. Each has borders. Each is recognized by the international community as being a sovereign state. They yeah. are at war. Israel is recognized by most countries as a sovereign state. Gaza, and indeed the, the, the Palestinians as a whole, have never had their national rights recognized. So with whom is Israel as a state at war? What state are they at war against? Are they at war against a group within a territory that they occupy? Now, many Many people would say, well, Israel no longer occupies Gaza. They removed all the settlements. But when one country absolutely controls the economy, the access, the services, the ability of people in an area to to carry out any sort of uh, survival we there's no other word for it but occupation so if you are at war against a territory you occupy what does that mean in international law I, my my next question uh, along the semantics and the words we're using could easily be its whole interview its its whole day of conversation in fact uh not only its own course that you could teach, but a whole degree plan. Let's kind of generally separate out Palestinian, Gazan, and then Hamas, because all of those are separate descriptors. And uh, the the way that some of the mainstream press has covered it is by saying things like Palestinian militants, as opposed mm-hmm. to describing a specific terrorist or non-terroristic uh, organization such as Hamas. And you even mentioned earlier that there are other organizations within uh, uh, the region that are uh, sympathetic or militant towards uh, Palestinian freedom. Um, 
Thank you for that question. I will try and do this in the, the very simple condensed version, because as you say, anything I say is a, is a gross simplification. And, you know, for listeners who are aware of greater complexity, forgive me. Palestine as, as a geographic entity has existed under different levels of control by different groups for a very long time. Palestinians who were there at the beginning of the 20th century had been there for centuries and centuries and centuries. So we have a group of people who are Palestinian, identified themselves as Palestinian, were seen by other people as Palestinian. When the Zionist movement, which began just at the end of the 19th century, identified Palestine as a place for Jews to go, the the Palestinians, um, as as the 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 growth of people coming in from Europe increased, Palestinians became increasingly frustrated by curtailments of their own rights, their own land, their own national aspirations. So since the establishment of the State of Israel in 1948, effectively the West Bank, which is um, on the West Bank of the Jordan River, so the other side from the country of Jordan, and the Gaza Strip, which is a little tiny area down next to where Israel meets Sinai, have been geographically separate. You cannot travel between the two of them without going through Israel. Over time, the the authority that that gained recognition as being the national authority for the Palestinian people that was involved in negotiations with Israel in Madrid, in Oslo, uh, was the Palestine Liberation Organization, largely the group known as Fatah. They agreed with Israel that they would no longer use violence, that they would cooperate, that they would coordinate, and Israel said, and in exchange for that, we will give you state-like rights. That didn't ever really happen, which led many Palestinians to say, well, coordinating and cooperating with Israel is not effective. At the same time, there was the development of a much more uh, religion-based group known as Hamas that was stronger in the Gaza Strip, again, separate. Uh, and the people looked at it as being an alternative that might be more successful, not because it was more violent, but because people were frustrated that they did not have rights uh, despite all of this cooperation with Israel. So in the election in 2006, when Hamas did very, very well, I was in Jerusalem. I was going around to polling stations, listening to people express why they were supporting one or the other. And it was about domestic issues. It was about who can provide 
water, security, jobs. So there was a sense of let's try something else because this hasn't been working. We do need to note that in the in the 80s, Israel supported Hamas as a uh, as a a counterweight to Fatah because Fatah was secular leftist and seemed to be the stronger challenge to Israel. So Israel supported Hamas as a counterweight. We might look at this as the United States supporting uh, Islamist fighters to go to Afghanistan to fight against the godless communists. Yeah, the Mujahideen, yes. Exactly. Yes, yes. So today, does kind of the international chorus of policymakers, do they consider Hamas a terrorist organization or a political organization or a political party? What's the, what's, what's like a good descriptor for it? And it would depend on which countries you ask. <laughs> yeah. Because it is all of those things. Yeah. It is a religious activist movement. It is, in effect, a, an elected government. It is also a group that uses, particularly lately, uh, but uses and and has not given up the right to use terrorist tactics. Mm-hmm. Terrorism is a tactic. Terrorism yes. is not a policy. Yeah. So a group that says, yes, we use terrorist tax- tactics can be called a terrorist organization, but that should not limit our understanding of the motivations of people who support them. Many people who support Hamas do not support terrorism per se. They support what Hamas says it is trying to gain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, beyond the obvious territorial disputes that you've kind of discussed, the religious differences, uh, the, the, the overarching uh, uh, it, differences between these two sides. Can you provide some context as to what is fueling this specific attack, uh, this specific instance of conflict between the two? I can give some context to it. Um, It is very difficult to know, you know, why Hamas leaders decided to do this. Right, right. You know, I am not in touch with them, so I do not know what they're (laughs) thinking. Uh, but we do have to look at things that are going on. For instance, yeah. within Israel, there is a, a an unusual government, even though Bibi Netanyahu has been is in his 16th year of being prime minister on and off. His cabinet is highly unusual. It is extremely radical there are members of the cabinet that are not welcome in the United States. They have, there are people who have throughout their political lives called for the wholesale expulsion, if not killing of Palestinians. There are people who, who use um, language about all Palestinians that refer to them as less than human. When you have this language, you you are opening the door to ethnic cleansing, if not worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 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 anger within Israel because of this attack. Um, and I see this among people I know because, of course, I know many people 
on all sides of this uh, is, is similar to the United States, you know, at times when we have felt under attack and it's like, we will do anything. Well, when you say you're going to do anything, then the the limits on behavior change. As far as Hamas goes, we have to we have to recognize that from the viewpoint of all Palestinians, but particularly Gazans, because they are so concentrated and so limited mm-hmm. in their lives, in their as in in their in their aspirations, their ability to have any sort of future for themselves or their children. They they look at decades of repression. They look at decades of Israeli bombing of civilian buildings. They don't see it as well. This is retaliation for something Hamas did. They see this as yeah. my building in which I live was bombed. I can't leave. We we don't have bomb shelters. We don't have an ability to go somewhere else to get away from the war. We are in the Gaza Strip. There's nowhere to go. Yeah. So they they feel that this accumulation of things uh, is 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 a condensation of an Israeli war on them. So when Israel says we are now at war with Gaza or with Hamas, Netanyahu is speaking to Israelis. He is speaking to Israelis saying, mm-hmm. even though you have been deeply opposed to me, opposed to all of my policies for almost a year, tens of hundreds of thousands of people out in the street against Netanyahu, we are now at war. We have to stand together. Yeah. So this could not have come at a better time for Netanyahu politically, even though it is a tragedy and a trauma for the Israeli people. And how are U.S. policymakers responding to to this conflict and to Netanyahu's comments? Well, interestingly, U.S. support for Israel sort of writ large has been one one standard that has uh, lasted through political changes in the United States. There has always been a, well, particularly since 1967, a general sense that the United States will stand with Israel. It is, there are challenges now because, again, this Israeli government is taking steps that are anti-democratic, that are problematic, the language being used against the Palestinians when U.S. policy is for there to be a reconciliation and, if possible, two states. You know, all of these things had been creating stresses in the relationship. Um, When there is an attack on Israel, either within Israel or within the United States and Europe, there's much more of a, this is this is abhorrent, we have to stand with Israel. So, you know, again, and I am not saying that, that Netanyahu planned this in any way, but it is benefiting him politically because it is going to mute much of the criticism of his political actions, both in Israel and in 
other countries. Now, we have to note that in countries that are much more uncomfortable with Israeli policies and Israeli occupation, Israeli expansion, Israeli treatment of Palestinians, there is not necessarily support for what Hamas did, but admiration that Hamas was able to do it. Mm -hmm. And I want to to make a, a bright line between those two things. Israel was shocked by this, not only because of its horrendous brutality, but because Israelis feel that they have that border locked down. And part of it is that they they use a lot of highly technical means uh, that that Hamas was able to um, bypass these on air, land and sea. Yeah. Uh, whether or not Hamas is absolutely devastated by Israel. And I know that Israel plans to do that. And of course, they 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 tend to lump Gazans together with Hamas, so we have the risk of, of huge devastation there. But the fact that Hamas was able to do that is going to sort of be a feather in their cap in the sense that they were able to breach Israeli defenses. Yeah, And that is a different thing than whether we support or anybody supports what they actually did. Yeah. So it, this is not a philosophical exercise or an academic exercise or, or a thought experiment for you. You've actually been involved, as you've mentioned several times, uh, involved in diplomacy across this region and the, the world globally. Um, if you could, could you kind of give us a little bit of a backstory on like how your career brought you to being one of the people that like, like we kind of exchanged emails the other day and you said, I've already been on several interviews and I'd love to join another. Why, why is Joanne Cummings the person that multiple people are considering an expert, an on-call person to talk to, to understand this conflict? I was a, a U.S. diplomat, a career diplomat. Uh, throughout my career, and serving primarily in different parts of the Middle East. Uh, I served in Israel, I served in Syria, in Yemen, in Egypt, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, which is not part of the Middle East. Um, and, and I also grew up in the region because my father was a U.S. diplomat. So I have been in and out of Israel and Palestine since I was a child. I have seen the changes there. I have deep and close friendships on all sides yeah. of this conflict. I went to high school in Iran, so I'm also looking at the rhetoric that is developing about Iran. This, this is, as you said, very near to my heart. I am um, deeply disturbed by the loss of life and the potential loss of life. And my heart goes out to, to blameless people on all sides who are, are in fear of their lives. I, I'm also concerned that this 
is already being regionalized and maybe internationalized partly because there are people in many places who will seek to use this, will seek to instrumentalize the emotion that is being generated here to um, resolve issues that they feel uh, have, have not been addressed. So there, there are people in Israel, there are people in the United States who say, well, Iran is supporting Hamas, and so we have to go after Iran. There are people who are saying, well, Russia has been unhelpful in the region. This intensifies our conflict in Ukraine and Russia. China is already saying we will be the mediators in this and bring people together. As soon as you have all these different people, Modi is, is expressing support for Netanyahu in more than condolences. Yeah. There are a lot of people Modi, who the Prime want Minister to play of India, just for of India yes. Uh, there are a lot of people who want to play in this sandbox. Turkey is is in a particularly tense uh, relationship with its NATO ally, the United States, because of issues in northeast Syria. If this moves, and it will, moves beyond a simple border confrontation between Israel and Gaza, which it has been in the past, it is going to be very difficult to contain because each one of these things then has ripples that affect other things. I'm extremely concerned that people will not be looking at the ramifications of statements they make and things that they do. Yeah. This region is one that we regularly have conversations about uh, conflict, both present and in the past. For instance, the the Yom Kippur War between Arab states and Israel. There there was a conflict here a few years ago uh, that was resolved in just a matter of days. There have been longer conflicts. There is, like you mentioned, the the kind of I don't know if we'd call it destabilization, but the the the, the wobbliness of the Israeli government for the past few years. Um, there is a lot going on in this region, kind of constantly. And I know that this is a question that many, many, many people have made a career out of trying to answering. But why is this specific area so difficult to, I don't want to use the word stabilize, because that would imply that there aren't people there with jobs and apartments and mortgages and, and families and things like that. Why is it so difficult to get everybody on the same playing field in this specific area. You know, I, I would use your final phrase. It's because everyone is on the same playing field. Okay. There's there's one physical playing field and a lot ah. of different people yeah. are on it. Um, but different rules of the game, some people control the umpires, some people don't. So yeah. it gets mixed up. I think we need to recognize that this tension in the Middle East, because it's been our lifetime, it's been our parents' lifetime, looks like it's just always that way from time immemorial for millennia. It's been, a, it hasn't. Yeah. I mean, this is a conflict of the last hundred years. That's it. There is not some 
since time immemorial, Jews and Arabs have been fighting or Jews and Muslims have been fighting. It's simply not that. The atrocious acts of anti-Semitism, of the Holocaust, of pogroms through the centuries have been in Europe. I mean, as Christians, we own that. That is not specifically a Muslim thing. Uh, The frustration of expulsion and exile of Palestinians from their homes has created an anger toward Israel. And because Israel portrays itself as the Jewish state and the home for all Jews, it, it in itself is, is sort of creating a rhetoric where if you oppose Israel, you oppose Judaism, and therefore you are anti-Semitic, which is unhelpful because if you cannot say this particular Israeli policy is unhelpful without being declared anti-Semitic, then we have no way of engaging as states with each other. We've mentioned a couple of times the Ukrainian-Russian war, the Ukrainian-Russian conflict. As best as we can understand in day three of this conflict, uh, you've mentioned some of the, the the key players, the key regional players and the key international players who are already trying to jockey for positions of influence and power. How how can we understand the relationship between the two conflicts right now and how might they influence each other? It is a very interesting dynamic because people who are on each side of both conflicts are using them to prove very, very different things. So there are those who would say the United States is concerned about Ukraine being occupied, but they're not concerned about Israelis occupying Palestinian land. There are those who say we have to stand for Ukraine like we stand for Israel when it's being attacked from outside. There are those who say you know, Russia supports Iran and is getting weapons from Iran. So we have to oppose that combination of players. And that means they are supporting both the occupate, the, the invasion of Ukraine and uh, Hamas as an organization. So it is very difficult. Well, I was going to say it's difficult to draw a parallel, but it's very easy to draw multiple parallels. Right. Depending on what your goal is. Is there is there a chance that these two conflicts can lead to a domino effect within I know they're in very different parts of the world, but is is there a coming togetherness in the future as a possibility? Does this excise a a more international conflict rather than two regional conflicts? For instance, does this expedite maybe the uh, potential invasion uh, that China has looked in the South China Sea? Does this, you mentioned mm. India, does this increase the chance of conflicts between India and Palestine? Does this does this escalate more broadly in any other way? I don't necessarily mean, does all of a sudden King Charles decide that it's time to invade France again? Right. No, thank you for clarifying. And 
And you, you said between India and Palestine. I think you meant India and Pakistan. Yes, I did. Of course I did. Thank you. Right. Yeah. Um, yes, I think that the fact that we have a major conflict going on between Ukraine and Russia, which has captured the world's attention in many different ways over the past year, and now we have a another highly emotional issue that for different people calls on religion it calls on on feelings of justice it calls on uh feelings of decolonialization people are deeply engaged in both of these the risk i would say is less that those somehow get directly linked together and more that you've got a lot of countries in the world now paying attention to these two things. And yes, if there are other people in the world who are like, when is it going to be the right time to do this thing I want to do? This might well be the right time. It might well be mm-hmm. the time that China says, um, I'm going to mediate over here. And by the way, while I'm talking about that, I'm going to expand what I'm doing in the South China Sea. There are tensions between China and India. Prime Minister Modi of India is definitely trying to increase his world stature in a certain range of issues. Pakistan is going to be extremely concerned about that, how that plays out. Right. Um, you know, and let's not forget that we have countries that have been engaged in the process of the Abraham Accords. And I'm not saying that their governments are immediately going to change what they have done, but the people in those countries are going to be emotionally responding particularly if Israel appears to be doing a, a wholesale killing or expulsion of civilians. It's going, it could destabilize states and governments that have made a commitment to normalize relations with Israel. At the same time, the governments of the UAE and of Saudi Arabia and of Egypt have taken a very strong stand against the Muslim Brotherhood and Hamas is an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood. So there are lots of different factors going on. Yeah. And each each reaction is going to depend on what has just happened. It's very difficult to look forward and say this is the way the dominoes are going to fall. It's more like when you have them set up on the floor with multiple calls columns and colors and going in all sorts of directions and you knock over the first one Mm. so we don't know how this is going to play out yeah this is a a very complex topic it's a fast evolving situation and story Um, there are a, a lot of strings a lot of dominoes a lot of a lot of metaphors that we can use here um in in short there's a lot going on, um, and it's easy, as I've 
made an example of myself a couple of times in this conversation uh, to get things mixed up, to get words mixed up, to get places mixed up. Uh, how are you staying educated on this in the simplest you know, ways possible? What outlets are you watching or listening to? Who are you having conversations with? How are you staying involved in this in ways that most people can can access? I will leave out my foreign language sources. Although many of them, you know, thanks to, to Google and AI, are accessible to other people through not great but adequate translation. Um, I read a range of sources out of Israel. I read a range of sources out of the Arab world. Um, so... You know, in Israel, you've got the Jerusalem Post, you've got Haaretz, you've got the Times of Israel. Um, in in the Arab world, you have Al Jazeera and Al Hadath. Um, U.S. media can be good, can try to be good, but yeah. there are no American media people in Gaza. So, you know, we simply don't have visibility BBC is always, always, always a good source. And they do have people on the ground. Reuters, AP, Agence France Presse, AFP. Um, but one of the things I do is, is I have very consciously built up a broad uh, set of social media contacts, contacts across all these groups so that I look at what they are individually reporting because frankly a lot of media presentations are drawing on those same people right uh, so you know it is a way of of looking at how individuals are presenting it but it is difficult to make sense of things when you're starting from nothing yeah and you know this is where i would rely more strongly on uh, things like BBC, you know, BBC from Britain, yeah, the standard uh, media in in the United States, and um, you know, I think if you're looking for an English English medium thing out of Israel that is going to give some sense of of the broad range of views, Haaretz, okay. So from from a totally U.S.-based media perspective, uh, I know you're not a media analyst, uh, and I wouldn't ask you to necessarily grade these, but these are some of the outlets that I check. If you could tell me, and thus tell listeners, just kind of like how good or bad those might be to to look for. So kind of the first thing I do every morning is look at the New York Times. Is that going to mm -hmm. be a solid source, a, a good enough source? It's a good enough source. Um, yes, and there's some New York Times reporters that are absolutely excellent. I mean, I always read Eric Schmidt. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, I, I also take a peek over at Wall Street Journal, though they kind of do a lot of overlap in their news gathering and news reporting. Their editorial uh, is a little bit different. Yeah, their editorial slant, particularly right now, there, there are things you read because they express very clearly a particular perspective, and right. you want to know that particular perspective. But it helps to know 
that it is presenting, uh, you know, one side of the issue. And the Wall Street Journal editorial is definitely going to be presenting Netanyahu's side of the mm-hmm. issue, not not just the Israeli side, but a conservative mm-hmm. Israeli side. News is not bad. Yeah. I also usually check the Financial Times or the FT and the Guardian. Mm-hmm. Those are like more international papers. Are they going to be similar in coverage of, you know, just going to have like a big media perspective and just be from a different country? Or is the Guardian, you know, I, I know that sometimes the Guardian can be like a very well-sourced, well-presented uh, international piece of coverage similar to the BBC. Yes, because... They have people in a broader range of countries, and I believe the Guardian has people, or at least access to people in Gaza. They are going to present a much broader picture of what's going on. Yeah, I mean, if if as in the United States, if you rely on coverage of a crime from initial police reports, you may find out later that that was not accurate. In Israel, if you rely on statements from the Israeli army, from the IDF, then, you know, that is going to present only only one view. So if you have people on the ground in different places, as The Guardian does, that's going to be more reliable. Yeah. And then if I'm uh, in the car, I'll usually turn on NPR for news. If I come home and just sit down, uh, I I turn on CNN. How are those two at international news gathering and reporting? I think they're both very good. I mean, I CNN, you know, cut its teeth on on international news. And, um, you know, you can have quibbles about their domestic political coverage, but their international stuff is very sound. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so in 62 days, you and I will be on stage for a Baylor Line event. I want to ask your prediction. Where do you think this conflict between Israel and Hamas will be? What do you think we'll be talking about in 62 days? I would guess that what we'll be talking about is, is a different array of friends and enemies to the United States in the world mm-hmm. um, because that's going to depend on what happens. I can't predict who the friends and enemies are going to be. I hope that we'll, we will not be talking about, you know, how does the world deal with an expanding tragedy? I think mm-hmm. we will be talking about how different people have reacted and responded and are trying to then deal with the the implications of what's happened. I'm looking forward to talking with you. I am too. Do you think this is going to be something short like the October War, the Yom Kippur War, or do you think this is going to be something more drawn out like the current conflict between Russia and Ukraine? Are there any indicators to how this might right. escalate? Well, you know, as always, you need to talk about what ending looks like. Mm. Because Israel may say, we have driven Hamas and half the population of Gaza out of Gaza, pushed them into Sinai. It's over. We did that in blank number of days. Is that the end? Mm. Is that in any way the end? When Netanyahu has made a statement that they are going to take actions that will 
harm Gaza for generations. Mm-hmm. He's saying this is not going to be over anytime soon. Even if for Israel, it's like, oh, we got rid of them. What is this going to mean for how people view Israel? Mm. So it. we need to distinguish between a battle yeah. and a war and a resolution. And those are three different things. Yeah. Well, uh, I look forward to checking in with you in uh, a, a couple months to see where things stand. Hopefully we're having a very different conversation than the one we're having uh, today. I hope it's much more upbeat. Yeah, indeed. Joanne Cummings is the director of Baylor's Middle East Studies Program, a lecturer of political science and in the BIC, and a former U.S. diplomat in the Middle East. She joins us this morning from her home in Waco, Texas. Joanne, thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having me.